Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. How many great leaders have you been influenced by in your lifetime? Now think about how many not-so-great leaders you've had. Today, as Pastor Jim shares from the Psalms, he talks about the need for a change of leadership. You can probably imagine the scene in the ancient world setting that is ruled by a king. This was common in their time, and not every king was fair and just. In today's text, a change was desperately needed, and God supplied the answer, as He always does, right on time and perfectly complete. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Psalms, chapter 72, as he begins his message, Praying for New Leadership. All right, the debates are on. The media is heating up. The politicians are giving us their normal thing that they say every election cycle. We need new leadership in Washington. There's a big problem with that, though. It's the old quote, nobody knows who said it. It was made famous by Charles Haddon Spurgeon because he preached a sermon on it. And, this, and the old quote goes like this, the best of men are but men at best. <laughs> That's all we're going to get. Psalm 72 is what's called one of the royal psalms. And if you don't know the psalms, they're great, great books. When you don't know how to pray or you can't pray, read the psalms out loud. If you want to know more about praying, they will teach you how to pray. So Psalm 72 is one of the royal psalms, and it sets a standard for a king or one of the future kings of Israel or for leaders that no one could ever live up to. No one could ever live up to. Well, maybe not no one. Psalm 72, written a thousand years before Jesus is born, in addition to telling the kings how to live in the future, points forward to the coming Messiah and eventually to the return or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That leads us to ask ourselves, okay, how often do we pray for Jesus to come back? I mean, how often do we pray for Jesus to come back and establish his perfect kingdom, his eternal kingdom? This leads us to ask ourselves how often we pray for, for Jesus to come back and establish the perfect kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom. Now, for many followers of Jesus, and if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you're not, we're glad that you're here. And maybe you are a follower of Jesus, you didn't even know that Jesus is supposed to come back. A lot of people are like, I didn't know he was coming back. I thought we'd just die and go meet him. No, but he is going to come back. But a lot of followers of Jesus kind of have this attitude towards the second coming of Jesus. And it's kind of like this, sort of like, well, it can wait. I'm not in a hurry. You know, I got things to do, places to go. I think a lot of people kind of like, well, well, Jesus, let me look at my schedule and I'll get back to you. Let you know when it's a good time. And we want Jesus to come back at the perfect time, when he says it's time. Now, others do pray for the second coming. But a lot of the people who pray for the second coming pray for it because life is miserable. Life is intolerable. Not for the glory of God on heaven and on earth. So the vision of Psalm 72 is actually talking about how future kings are supposed to rule in Israel on the one hand, but on the other hand, because this is at the beginning of the kingly rule, it's also for the return of the Lord Jesus to rule righteously 
over this world. And it is the hope, and the Bible hope means certainty, okay, for the people of God. So this is both a prayer, an anticipation, and sort of a, a way for a king to live, but it's really a prayer and anticipation of King Jesus' righteous rule in peace and prosperity. Let me put an asterisk on that word prosperity. We think of prosperity as a lot of money. For them, it was an overall sense of well-being for all who turn to God and put their trust in Jesus, which is actually the Bible's definition of a follower of Jesus, of a Christian. But it's also a prayer that we are anticipating this and we are waiting for this. Now, this is something that a lot of Christians get confused. Some people, when they, you know, you ask them, well, what about this? What about that? They go, I'm just waiting on the Lord, brother. But in the Bible, waiting is what we do while we are waiting for the promises of God to come to pass. Do we understand that? So it's not an inactive waiting. We're actively waiting for the Lord. And part of that is we're waiting, we're acting in a way so that the kingdom of God would spread throughout the world through followers of Jesus. So I have entitled today's message, Praying for New Leadership. Not new leadership in Washington, that we should pray for that, but essentially new leadership in the world and in the cosmos. And part of a series, it's just a brief one that I've entitled, Finding the Heart of God in Difficult Days. So in the Psalms, the heading is part of the psalm. First off, you might say, well, what in the world is a psalm? A psalm is a song or a poem. When the people of God came back from Babylon, some 500, this is written a 1,000 years before Jesus, then about 500 years later, they came back from Babylon, then Jesus was born then. And so when they came back, this was their songbook. A lot of times they called the Psalms the Second Temple Songbook. That's why you see a lot of you hear a lot of Christian songs, and you're like, that sounds familiar. And then you read a psalm, and you're like, oh, that's a song. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that a songwriter can't go wrong by taking, a, by taking words out of the Bible and putting it to music. And so it says at the beginning here, a song of Solomon. Now, that's very interesting. Of can mean that he wrote it. It can mean that it was for Solomon. It could mean it was written to Solomon. And at the end of this psalm, King David will be mentioned. So it could have been written by King Solomon. It could have been written for his son, King Solomon. So a lot of times I just refer to the Bible writers in the Psalms as the psalmist. Just makes it easier for me. I don't have to confuse people or confuse myself. So if you're taking notes, you got to write quick. Okay? There's five points. Some of you be like, no, that's over the limit, Pastor Jim. It's supposed to be three. Come on, three. No, it's five. So the first one is praying for a righteous leader. Praying for a righteous leader. And you could, if you want, add at the end of any of these points to come or to return because each are applicable. This is something that is very important for all of you to understand, and some of you that are newer to the, some of you older to the Bible, you know this, some of you are newer, you don't understand this, but this is hugely, hugely important, okay? There's often in the Bible a near-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. 
So he's talking on the one hand to the future kings of Israel, and at the same time he's talking about the Messiah. So near-term, future kings, long-term, the Messiah. Very important concept to understanding the Bible. And the psalmist prays for God to give gifts to the kings of Israel. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, God, give them a good economy. He doesn't say, God, help them up, come up with, you know, politicians have platforms. He doesn't say, God, give them a good platform that all the people like it. No, what does he say? He says, give them your judgments and your righteousness. Forget the polls. Get everything else. Lord, please give them your judgments and your righteousness. Not just that he would be a good king, not just that he or she would be a great leader, rather, give them what they need to lead like you, Lord. Not like the best of, you know, other human kings, but to lead like you. So verse 1 is really the foundation of the prayer. Lord, please give, please empower the king with your resources to lead like you. Now, is anybody like that running for president right now? Probably not. Verse 2, he will judge, sounds like the future, correct? Now, some of your versions say, may he judge. We got to talk about that in a minute because it really means the same thing, although in the way we speak and the way we think, it really doesn't because we think he will judge, he will do it. You know, he'll do it sometime. Some, this guy's coming, he's going to do it. And then when we say may, we're like, well, maybe he would do it. I don't know. So he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor or your afflicted with justice. We might say, without partiality, there's no elite servants of the Lord. They're God's people. They're not the people of the earthly king. Verse 3, the mountains will bring peace to the people or prosperity. So again, we have to remember prosperity, not money. It's Think of a well-being. And the little hills by righteousness, he will bring justice or he will defend to the poor, some of your versions say the afflicted, of the people, he will save the children of the needy, and he will break in pieces or crush the oppressor. I don't know why, but I really like that line. <laughs> See, I know a lot of you like, you know, sweet Jesus coming back, like, oh, this is wonderful, this is what we want, and other people like, they like the warrior God, so that's different for sure. So, very interesting here, the people okay, are God's people. That's what he says in verse 3, verse 2. They're God's people, and that's no surprise. But notice what he also says in verse 2, but the poor are God's people. The poor are God's poor. You wouldn't expect him to say that in our modern American culture, would you? You'd expect some joker to come along and go, oh, they didn't have enough faith. That was their problem. God says, no, that's not the problem, joker. He says, they're they're my people. They're my people. The Lord wants his people treated justly, okay, which really means to put things right. He wants them treated justly and fairly. 
and a righteous king will see that that comes to pass. And that's something, in some ways, an earthly king could do. The psalmist says even the mountains, which are basically the mountains were considered to be completely barren, will bring forth well-being to the people. So that's meant to give what? That's meant to give the people hope. That's meant to let them know that this king, when he comes, everything is going to be different. It may also mean that while the rich now live in fertile fields, that there will be food for the poor. We see that when we get to verse 16. All this points to the coming of a righteous and just king who will come, and there will no longer be needy people of God on earth. So now, I don't want to get lost in the weeds here, but I do want to explain this whole he may thing, right? This is very important. The Old Testament, largely written in Hebrew, and Hebrew verbs have a lot of flexibility in their translations. So some of this in this psalm uses what's called modal nuance. Now, some of you, oh, I used to say teachers, but this is probably only the English teachers know this. Modal nuance is what? It contains what's called helping words. So if you're a parent and you said to your kid, take out the garbage, okay? You're not using a modal nuance. But if you said, could you please take out the garbage? The modal nuance helps the sentence. So what's even more here is a term that we call a jussive verb, just a verb, not a common verb, but, but it actually is very common in Bible writing. And what a justive verb does is it expresses the desire of the speaker. So his desire is for all of these things. And the Bible writer is expressing a prayerful hope, which would be his certainty that anticipates the fulfillment of all of this in some king. That some king will will do this. Remember, the Holy Spirit is guiding the Bible writer along. And so when he says, may he, it's not like, well, maybe, I hope so. May, you know, he's, he's saying, this is what's going to happen. So it really means the same thing as he will judge. Verse 4, he says that he brings justice to the afflicted and to the children of the needy, and the king will break in pieces and crush the oppressor. So I love this. By being a righteous king... What is he saying? You can't buy favors from him. You can't do it. You can't bribe him. Have any of you heard that some of our politicians get bribed? Can any of you ever, have any heard that there's an announcement about something like a, oh, let's just say a pandemic coming? And then they short the stocks of certain companies or they dump all their stock holdings. Have you ever heard of such things? You're all a bunch of conspiracy theorists. (laughs) See, the way we judge a leader or a president is by results. You know the classic, are you better than you were doing four years ago? I mean, that's the big thing. But that's not the way God makes his judgments. God judges faithfulness or success very differently than we do. And what he's showing us here today, and please If you're not in a great place right now, I please want you to see this. He is showing us a different world. He's painting for us for a world that we definitely do not live in. This is a vision of a new world, a world that is really worth living in. I'm not saying that our world is not worth living in, but what he's saying is this world is but a shadow of what really is to come. 
This is similar to the world spoken of by Jesus in Luke 4, 16 to 21, when he's quoting prophecies from Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus was born. This does not mean that Jesus came into the world as a social reformer, rather a king who brings righteousness. For the most part, righteousness refers to living in a right relationship with a righteous God. You might say it has to do with having the approval of God, but the Bible teaches you can only get that kind of righteousness through Jesus Christ. He has to give it to you. On the cross, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sin goes upon Jesus and your, his righteousness goes upon you. It's what we call justification by faith. It means to be pronounced righteous, which is a gift of God. You didn't do anything for it. Jesus did it all. And part of being a new creation in Christ, that's what happens when you believe in Jesus, part of it is being just to people. What does it mean to be just? It means to be essentially to be morally right and fair. God wants us to be morally right and fair to people. Well, that's number one. Number two, praying for an eternal leader, an eternal leader. Verse five, they shall, some versions say, may they fear you. For some people, it's fear. I guess when we talk with people about the fear of God, they get all kind of, you know, turned inside out. You might even just want to say, respect you. Would you say that people respect our politicians? No, no. We might be afraid of what they're going to do, right? <laughs> but we don't fear them. He says, they shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. Verse 6, he shall come down, or another verse says, may the king be like the rain upon the grass before mowing. Some of you are going to say, on the cut grass, but here's the point, like showers that water the earth. Again, you might want to circle that in your Bible. That's the point there, that showers that water the earth. Verse 7, kind of a summary verse. In his days, the righteous shall flourish, and the abundance of peace, or the well-being of people, until the moon is no more. What is he saying? It will be like this forever. The psalmist begins... Verse 5, may this king endure forever. Obviously, that goes beyond any human king. Now, some people would say, well, he might be talking about eternal life, and some of the, you know, most of the king, if you read First and Second Kings, it's not such a great crowd that followed King David and King Solomon, but some of them will show up in heaven for sure. But it says in verse 6, he shall come down. Earthly rulers don't come down, do they? They might go up, they might go to live with the Lord, but they don't come down, and nor will they be the sovereign ruler in all eternity. Clearly, these verses can only be fulfilled by and point to the risen, ascended, and returning king, the Lord Jesus Christ. God told this to King David in 2 Samuel 7.13, Old Testament, 1,000 years before Jesus is born, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, forever. Revelation 15 says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We sing that, don't we? He shall reign forever and ever. So the psalmist says of King Jesus, he shall come down. He shall come down. How shall he come down? 
Think of it this way, like refreshing rain, refreshing rain. In the last service, it was a lot easier. It was pouring. And I said, oh, God, keep the rain coming through the ceiling (laughs) and bring down the refreshing rain on all of us. Maybe it'll rain before the service ends. We can only pray, right? And so, so he brings down the refreshing rain. And what does refreshing rain do? It makes things grow. We don't like rain so much. But in their culture, rain, it was an agricultural culture, rain was considered a divine blessing from the Lord. You could imagine even like a guy who didn't believe in God at all, looking out at his dry crop field that he spent all of his seed money from the last crop on, and the thing's not growing, and all of a sudden he becomes a man of prayer. Oh, God, we need some rain. And so it would be considered divine blessing. The idea is an abundance of crops, an abundance of food, of blessing because of the supply of water that King Jesus has provided. Now, let's look at the opposite. Psalm 28.3 says in the Christian Standard Bible, a destitute leader or a fake leader who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no food. See, it can rain too much, can it? So much that it would destroy the field. But Jesus knows the amount, the right amount of rain for it to be refreshing upon all of us. Number three, we're praying for a a worldwide leader, a worldwide leader. In verse eight, he says, he shall have dominion also. Again, some say, may he rule. It's the, he's anticipating this happening right? From sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, King Solomon had a very financially prosperous reign, most prosperous of all the kings, but nothing like this, not from one end of the earth to the other. Okay, verse 9, those who dwell in the wilderness, some versions say the desert tribes, will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. There's another term I like, (laughs) right? God's enemies are like, Yeah, you're going to lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles or the islands or the coasts will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Now, the queen of Sheba came to King Solomon, and the magi came to baby Jesus. Could be references to that. Verse 11, yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. So he says, When this king returns, when this king comes, he will reign over the entire earth, and his enemies will lick the dust. Now, what does that refer to? Basically, it refers to shame and fear. What will they realize? They were on the wrong side of Jesus. Like, they made fun of him. They didn't care about him. They didn't want to give him the time of day, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, that we're going to have to do this. The world leaders will bring gifts to the king. They will bow down before him. And what does that show us? That this king is a conquering king. He came the first time as the humble servant. He will come the second time as a conquering king. Now, if Jesus were a total tyrant, that would be very bad news for everybody, wouldn't it? But it's not for a follower of Jesus. But since Jesus will come and crush his oppressors, crush the oppressors. This is good news for a follower of Jesus. 
In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says something very, very important as we tie it to this psalm. Jesus said this, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. I want to say this to my dear unbelieving friend that may be with us, maybe another place in the building, maybe listening online or listening on the radio. I say this with every fiber of my being. You do not want to be on the wrong side of this one. You can make a lot of bad decisions in your life, but this is one you've got to get right. Jesus said, okay, if you are not with me, you are against me. There is no neutrality. You're either with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. And this is what's also very important to understand. I know it's not very American, but it's the truth. You come, I come, we all come to Jesus on his terms, not ours. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Changed by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Changed by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.